I'm Sarah Lippman. Welcome to Torah Imecha Nach Yomi with the OU Women's Initiative. Today, we will be learning Divrei Hayamim Chronicles, Volume 1, Chapter 2, where Chapter 1 concluded with the lists of the kings and warlords of Edom, descended of Esav. Chapter 2 begins, Ela B'nai Yisrael. These are the children of Israel, Esav's twin brother. Chapter 2 takes us all the way from the 12 sons of Yisrael, approximately 2,200 years after creation, through the Egyptian slavery, the generations in the wilderness, those who entered the land of Israel, and right through the full era of leadership of the Shoftim, the judges, right to the threshold of King David's reign at around 2,800 years from creation. So chapter 2 spans a period of over 600 years. In covering this era of Yisrael's nationhood, before there was a king time, Ezra pauses here and there to show us key people whose private lives were of such elevation that they planted the seeds of greatness that bloomed for generations, became a society, and ultimately a kingdom. What do we need to learn from comparing the kings and warlords of Edom to the kings and rulers of the Jewish people? Rabbi Yossi ben Hanina says, at the same time that this one, Edom, was appointing Melachim, kings, that one, Israel, was appointing Shoftim, judges. And while this one, Edom, was appointing warlords, Alufim, over their tribes, that one, Yisrael, was appointing Nesim, princes, over their tribes. In other words, before the children of Israel ever sought any form of defined political leadership, they sought Shoftim, judges, to educate to guide the development of a moral, Torah-based society. And while Esau's children were devolving from politically powerful kings, as we discussed at the end of chapter one, to a loose conglomeration of violent warlords, Alufim, the children of Israel were led by Nisi'im, translated as princes. However, the word Nasi is based on the root to lift up. In other words, the role of the Nasi of a tribe is to elevate his tribe with himself. Chapter two, verse one. Ela b'nei Yisrael, these are the children of Israel, Reuven, Shimon, Levi, Vihuda, Issachar, Uzvulun, Dan, Yosef, Uvinyamin, Naphtali, Gad, Ve'asher. The Midrash Divrei Hayamim, which perhaps not surprisingly is a commentary, a drash, but not an actual Midrash, written by Rabbi Shmuel Masnut, a Rav of Aleppo, Syria in the 1200s, suggests that the order of Yaakov's sons here is mixed up in order that no preference be attributed to their birth order or any other difference of status between Leah, Rachel, Bilhah, and Zilpah, the mothers. This is a striking example of one of the principles of understanding Divrei Hayamim, which is Ezra's determination that we understand that honor, respect, and status are seen from a higher vantage point. They're framed by the true mirror of history. The greatest people in history were not necessarily born into any privilege. You'll note that Cain and Hevel, Adam's oldest sons, are entirely absent from Divrei Hayamim, leaving only Shes, the son who truly took after his father Adam. Another example is the decline and fall of Esav's empire of Edom, Esav being the eldest of the two brothers. So welcome to Divrei Hayamim, where privilege means nothing and character means everything. Verse 3, B'nei Yehuda, Er ve'onan v'shela, Shlosha noladlo mibas shua ha'kananes, v'yehi er b'chor Yehuda ra be'inei Hashem, v'yemisehu. 
the children of Yehuda, Er and Onan and Shelah. These three were born to him through Bathshua the Canaanite, and Er, the eldest of Yehuda, was wicked in the eyes of God, and he died. Verse 4, V'tamar kalaso yaldalo es peretz ve'es zarach, kobne Yehuda chamisha. And Tamar, his daughter-in-law, birthed for him Peretz and Zerach, all the sons of Yehuda, number five. Immediately, Ezra goes to the genealogy of Yehuda, fourth of Yaakov's sons, with no stop here to see the rest of the family tree. According to Radak, from the very first verse, Adam, Shes, Enosh, Derehayamim, is intensely focused on the end goal, getting to David HaMelech, King David, and the construction of the base HaMikdash. Tamar's relationship with Yehuda is astonishing, the first time we learn of it in Chomish, in Parshas Vayeshev, smack in the middle of the story of Yosef being sold down to Egypt. Even more astonishing is that Ezra alludes to it here, saying that Tamar, Yehuda's daughter-in-law, gave birth to Yehuda's sons, Peretz and Zerach. Because while all the rest of Tanakh shows us where people have gone wrong, in Divrei Hayamim, Ezra is much more focused on what has been done right in the genesis of the royal house of David. So why remind us that after Yehuda's first wife died, and after Yehuda's eldest two sons died, the widowed daughter-in-law, Tamar, tricked Yehuda into a quick marriage he hadn't planned for? Tamar's marriage to Yehuda was legal, but mortifying. So mortifying that when Yehuda needed to send money to pay off Tamar's ketubah, he asked a friend to bring it. He couldn't face going back there again, thinking he had just impulsively married an anonymous prostitute. Tamar, for her part, was desperate. As the widow of a childless man, Yehuda's sons, Er and Onan, she was halachically in a state of kiddushin, betrothal to Yehuda's family, entirely dependent on their fulfillment of the mitzvah of Yibum, Leverite marriage. Until and unless Yehuda or his youngest son, Shela married Tamar, she would be essentially an aguna. She would be unable to marry anyone else. So what does Ezra have in mind by sharing this brutally embarrassing, albeit moral, episode in Yehuda's life? When Tamar was discovered to be pregnant, despite being, quote, married to Yehuda's family, Yehuda thought she was guilty of adultery. And then a miracle occurred. A human miracle. Two human miracles. Tamar refused to embarrass Yehuda publicly by telling her secret. She hinted, the man who owns this seal, garment, and staff is the father of my child. Even to save her life and the life of her unborn child, she wouldn't humiliate Yehuda. That's the first miracle. And then, Vayakir Yehuda Vayomer, Tzadka Mimeni, Ki Alkain Lonisatiha Lashela Bini. And Yehuda acknowledged it, and he said, She is more righteous than I, for I did not permit her to marry Shelah my son. Yehuda's actions had been beneath him, but he admitted it openly, and he corrected them. The second miracle. Two miracles of supernatural human choice under great stress. Two babies, born of Yehuda and Tamar, Peretz and Zerach. From Peretz comes King David himself. And the children of Peretz were Chetzon and Chamul, and the children of Zerach, Zimri and Esan, Haman and Chalkol, and Dara. Verse 7, Uvnei Charmi, Achar, Ocher Yisrael Ma'al Bacherem. 
the children of Carmi were Achar, who brought disgust upon Israel by violating the ban. And the sages teach us, this is referring to Achan, similar to Achar, who violated the ban on taking loot in battle during the days of Yehoshua ben Nun. Because of him, 36 men died in battle. And why is Achan referenced here? What does he have to do with the story of Divrei Hayamim, with the story of character over privilege? When Achan was caught out for his violation and sentenced to death, rather than struggle or flee or fight, he admitted his wrongdoing and he sang praise to God and sought to encourage others to learn from his example and follow the word of God exactly. Verse 8, the children of Asan were Azariah, the children of Chetzron that were born to him, Yerachmael and Ram and Kluvai. And Ram had Aminadav, and Aminadav had Nachshon, prince of the children of Yehuda. Nachshon had Salma, Salma had Boaz. Boaz had Oved, Oved had Yishai. And Yishai had his eldest Eliav, Avinadav the second, and Shima the third. Nisanel the fourth, Radai the fifth, Otsem the sixth, and David the seventh. And their sisters were Tseruya and Avigail. The children of Tseruya, Avshai, Yoav, and Asael were three. Verse 18. Vechalev ben Chetzron, holid es Azuva, Isha, ve es Yirios. Kalev, the son of Chetzron, gave birth to Azuva, his wife, and Yirios, ve'ele voneho, and these are her sons, Yesher, Veshovav, ve'ardon. Yesher, Shovav, and Ardon. Says the Gemara in Sota, the name Azuva means abandoned. This is Miriam, the sister of Moshe and Aharon. Why is Miriam called Azuva, rejected or abandoned? This brings us to another major principle for learning Devrei Hayamim as taught by Rav Moshe Eisman in the Art Scroll edition of Devrei Hayamim. The Midrash in Kohelis Rabbah teaches, Tane, we've learned, Shlosha Shemos Nikra'u La'adam Hazeh. A person has three names. Echad Shekaru Lo'avivimo. His first name is the one he's named by his father and mother. Ve'echad Shekaru Lo'acherim. His second name is the one that others call him. Ve'echad Shekaru Lo'besefer Toldos Brioso. And the third name is the one by which he is inscribed in the book telling the series of events of his existence. Says Rabbi Eisman, the majority of the names found in the first nine chapters of Chronicles are not known to us from the rest of Scripture. Nevertheless, the sages maintain that many of the people listed here are identical with persons who are mentioned in other books under different names. Although this phenomenon is found primarily in Chronicles, it does exist in other books as well. The Torah views a given name as more than a simple means of identification. A person's name defines his unique and individual place in the divine scheme we might even say that his physical existence is no more than the tangible form of the essence that his name expresses. In fact, the Shalah HaKadosh teaches that the word shame, name, is at the root of the word neshama, soul, because the name describes the root of the soul. In the books of Tanakh, people are primarily called by the names that either their parents gave them or that others used for them during their lifetimes. Their first names or their second names. But in Divrei Hayamim, Ezra shows us not how people seemed, but who they truly were, what kind of person they made themselves into. Thus, Yaakov is only called Yisrael, 
a name granted him when he defeated the Malach of Esav, a name representing the glorious achievements in his spiritual life. In Divrei Hayamim, David is always spelled with a Yud, that most spiritual of letters, indicating his lofty spiritual achievements. This is a Yisod, a foundational principle for understanding Divrei Hayamim. So why is Miriam, the sister of Moshe and Aaron, called Azuva, rejected? The Gemara in Sota teaches, she was initially rejected because no one was willing to consider marrying her. She was also called Yirios, sheets, because she was pale from illness, white like undyed linen. And why does the Pasuk say that Kalev gave birth to his wife? He married her. He didn't father her. So Rabbi Yochanan teaches, Kalev married Miriam for the sake of heaven. He wasn't looking for a beautiful face. He was looking for a beautiful soul, someone with whom he could truly build a strong home. In the gift of life, love, and home that Kalev gave to rejected Miriam, he gave her life. It's as though he were her father. Ve'ele boneha, these are her sons, continues the verse. Altikri boneha, says the Talmud. Don't read that, her sons. Ela boneha, her builder. In other words, her husband, Kalev. Yesher, Shovav, Ardon, these aren't Miriam's sons. They are the qualities of Kalev that brought Miriam back to life. Yesher, he was straight. He kept himself righteous when other leaders, the spies, did not. Shovav, he had a rebellious streak, and he used it to rebel against his own inclination to join the spies in their rebellion against God. Ardon, the defeater, because he defeated his inclinations for wrongdoing. Finally, concludes the Gemara, after their marriage, Kalev nursed Miriam back to health, and she bloomed in beauty like a rose, Ephras. What a beautiful, tender, intimate view into the lives of Kalev and Miriam. They are a foundation family of the tribe of Yehuda. Their grandson, Betzalel, is the architect and builder of the Mishkan, that earliest form of the Beis HaMikdash itself. On a sadder note, there are some less happy roots struck in this chapter as well. Verse 25, And the sons of Yerachmael, eldest son of Chetzron, his oldest son was Ram, and Buna, and Oren, and Otsem, and Achiyah. And Yerachmael had a different wife, Ushma Atara. Her name was Atara. He aim Onam. She is the mother of Onam. What an odd thing for the verse to say. He had a different wife? What does this mean, a different wife? And why is this Atara attributed as the mother of Onam? What is it that she brings to this relationship that gives birth to Onam? Although we might not have guessed it, this other wife, this different wife, was different because she wasn't Jewish. Her name, Atara, crown, says the Talmud Yerushalmi, hints to us that Yerachmael married her as a trophy wife. He was trying to get ahead socially, she being from a wealthy and noble non-Jewish family. We can only brace ourselves for where this family is headed. Radak relates that 24 generations later, the uncorrected personality flaw in Yerachmael resurfaced with a vengeance when their descendant, Yishmael, son of Netanya, son of Elishama, murdered Gedalia ben Achikam, who was the governor of Judea, immediately following the destruction of the first temple. Yishmael ben Netanya ben Elishama put himself in service of non-Jewish elite 
thinking, as Yerachmel, his great-grandfather, might have, that they would crown him ruler of Judea. He was looking for his Atara. Instead, his blow marked the absolute end of organized Jewish government in Israel for over 50 years, pushing the Jewish people deeper into exile in Babylonia and Persia. A very detailed genealogy of the families of the tribe of Yehuda brings us finally to verse 55. Umishpachos Sofrim and the families of the Sofrim, the scribes or teachers, Yoshve Yabetz, who lived in Yabetz, Tirasim, Shimasim, Suhasim. The Tirasim family, the Shimasim family, the Suhasim family. Hema Hakinim Habaim Mechamas Avi Beis Rechav. These are the Kinim who are descended from Hamas, father of Beis Rechav. The Radak explains these were families of teachers who taught Torah throughout Israel. The local Targum identifies the families of Torah teachers, the Mishpachos Hasofrim, as descendants of Moshe Rabbeinu and his wife Tzipara. Yabetz, the city where they lived, may further be a reference to the Shofet, the leader by the name of Yabetz, under whom they studied. Emrit Hashem will return to learn more about Yabetz in chapter 4. Overall, in this chapter, we've started to feel the strain the strain of just hanging in there, how the length of this journey, getting to David HaMelech, getting to Geula, makes it so much harder to stay on task. It can be hard to keep the flames of idealism burning brightly. But those who can do it, they're the special ones. They're the people with heart. They've got the secret superpower of the children of Avraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov. And so we call out, hang in there. Better times are coming. Don't let go. Ezra records the path that got us to the point of redemption. And the main key, staying loyal to what's true and good, sticking close to God, staying in the game. Thank you for learning together with me. Le'ilui Nishmas Rose Foreman, Rachel Rachel, Bas Arieleben Rachel Zeitlin.